Guys, we've been in this series almost the whole year called The Reset. Almost the whole year. We've gone through what it looks like to uh, love God with all of our hearts. Uh, we've looked at what it looks like to love our neighbors. That, that was the, the great commandment part of the series where we unpacked uh, the, the two most important things that Jesus said we have to get right in this life. And then we started talking about the great commission. So great commandment and the great commission. That's what this whole series is about. And the Great Commission, of course, is how God intends to spread the news of Jesus to the whole world. It's a big, big task. I think it's really important for us to always come back to what that, that, that message actually is. It's a, it's a pretty simple message, but sometimes we kind of convolute things, don't we? What is that message? What is the message of the gospel? Paul, told, Paul tells us plainly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what that is. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. We have to be reminded of what the gospel is because it is our natural tendency to turn everything back and make really life about us. And that's actually what the gospel came to liberate us from, was us. We needed to be rescued from ourselves. But we still go back to ourselves when we aren't reminded. So Paul is reminding us of the gospel he preached to us, which we received, on which we now have taken our stand. He continues, he says, By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. There are some of us who grab a hold of a gospel that's actually not the gospel from this book. And that gospel does not save us. We need to hear this, guys. There is the gospel and there are the gospels that we want it to look like. And those things do not save us. At very best, those are self-help, but honestly, those things lead to destruction. Verse 3, Paul continues, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here's what that is, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He really died for our sins. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, very important things. He basically came and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Only God, right? Only God can do that. So, so, so far we've talked about how the gospel impacts us personally. And I, I shared on that. I challenge you to look back at your life. And I hope you've done that. To, to see the fingerprints of God in your life that, that you can look back at now. And you know that God was preparing you to receive his son. God isn't trying to hide himself from you. He is, he is leaving you clues along the way, preparing you, softening your heart, working on that soil to get you to be able to receive him all along the way. Fingerprints of God preparing you to say yes. And then last week, Steve shared about the gospel of the kingdom, which is the working out of the, the, the spread and the reign of Jesus in our world. That should look like something. If we have received this gospel... This gospel should go out and make a difference in this world. And today we're going to talk about how the gospel is meant to go out into the entire world, which is really the outflow of the Great Commission. So let's pray as we begin. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray, Lord, that you would empower me with words straight from you. 
Lord, at any point as I'm speaking, I pray that you would redirect me or direct me, whatever I need. Lord, because I don't want to say anything that's out of turn. I don't want to say anything that's from me. I want to just yield to you. So Lord, I, I submit all of this to you. And I pray, Father, by the, the mystery and the power of your Holy Spirit that you would, would work in this place. I pray, Lord, that um, for skeptical people today, God, that you would speak specifically to the questions that they have in their hearts that they've been afraid to share. I pray, Lord, for people who have been to church for a long time, God, that you would um, surprise them at what you want to do in their lives today. Father, I pray for religious people here today who uh, show up, Lord, but their hearts have grown, grown cold years ago. I pray, Lord, that you would bring dead religious people to life. Lord, speak today. Lord, I thank you that your word does not return void. I cling to that today, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at a passage of scripture today um, that shows one of the key ways that, that God uh, spreads his gospel. It really is his doing. Now, he says he uses us, but he empowers us to do the work that, that he wants to get done. And, and really, this is going to highlight really the thesis of this sermon today, and it's this. The gospel flourishes during times of persecution. The gospel flourishes during times of persecution. And I also have no doubt uh, in God's great plan that, that he knew that we would speak on the spread of the gospel in the month of November, which is widely recognized around the world as a, as a time to set aside to pray for the persecuted church. That's only, only God's plan could, could bring about something like this. So today that's going to be our focus. And we're going to look at one main passage. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. It's long, but I need you to stick with me. And we're going to draw some conclusions on how God spreads his word throughout the world. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. It says, And Saul approved of their killing him. Now who is, who is uh, this person who was killed? It's Stephen. Uh, Stephen was the very first martyr of the church. Martyr meaning he was killed for his faith. Um, also, I think it's interesting to point out that Stephen was a deacon. <laughs> So who still wants to be a new deacon in our church? I don't think that'll happen, but I can't make any promises. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city." Now for some time a man named Simon had preached sorcery in the city and amazed all the people had practiced sorcery in the city. He didn't preach it, but that's really what it is, right? And amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. 
And all the people, both high and low, gave them their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been amazed in the name of the Lord. They had been amazed. Wow. Let me try that again. I'm amazed when people are baptized. Just saying. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, How much? Just kidding, he didn't say that. He said, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So, so what can we take from this passage right here in 2019, almost the end of 2019 as we go into 2020? What can we take from this passage and be transformed today? And there are a few really key ideas that stick out to me, and, and here's the first one. God's word is trustworthy. God's word is trustworthy. You might be saying, so how, how, do you, how do you get there? Well, here's the thing. We talk about this almost every Sunday that we preach straight from the Bible. There's a reason that we say that. We talk about preaching from the Bible because we believe that it's more than a collection of stories. It's more than that. It is historical, but it's more than a collection of stories. It's also more than a bunch of morals, it's not just about, you know, do this and everything will be great, do that and everything will be bad. You know, be a good person. It's really not the message. But it is the heart and the mind of Christ in written form. The Bible is the heart and the mind of Christ in written form. And it has the power to change us from the inside out when we read it. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the only book, I've said this many times, it's the only book where the author is with you while you read it. That's pretty amazing, right? We, we go to book signings, right, because we want to get close to the author. We, we wait in long lines at Barnes & Noble, you know, the only one that exists still in the U.S. It's like downtown Naperville. Everything else is online. You don't get to hang out with authors too much. But the Bible, it, we're, God is with us when we read it. Do I understand that? Absolutely not. Do I often sense that he is with me? Nope. But I do believe that he is because he, he who says it is faithful. He's, he's a faithful God. He shows that over and over and over. So it's more than a collection of stories. It's more than morality. It is the heart and the mind of Christ in written form, empowered by the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. 
but we don't expect you to believe that just because we say it, okay? You should be checking every single thing in Scripture so that you can see what's true and what's not. Uh, In Scripture, it's told, like, don't just believe it because your leaders say it. I agree, because I I can totally miss something. Anybody who speaks up here is infallible, which means that we will screw things up. I don't believe we're intending to screw things up, but we will screw things up, okay? We'll do it. Thank you so much, Rachel. (laughs) It's just true. We will. We'll mess things up. So we encourage you to go to the source, which is the word, and check to see if what we're saying is true. I want you to take a look at something that is fascinating to me, and and, and it's my prayer that this will encourage you to take some steps in your trust in God and in his word, okay? Let's do that today. Uh, The the Great Commission, uh, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, they were recorded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You've heard this before. We're going to read it again. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that is an action passage, isn't it? Like it's full of action. Uh, In other words, uh, Jesus is saying, this is what you're going to do. This is the mark that is going to be on you if you are one of my followers. This isn't, uh, just, this isn't just for a few people. This is for all of you who believe this. It's not for just a couple of pastors or a few elders or some deacons. This is for all of you. The message is entrusted to you. Go out and do this. It's going to take all of you to spread this message and, and, and show people the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't just sit around getting the game. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gave more specifics um, as to how his plan for redemption was going to roll out through the world. And it says this, but you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It's a very specific plan. And in Acts chapter 8, the very first verse, it says this, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. I really want you to connect all those things. We have the Great Commission, and then he says how he's going to do it. He's going to pour out his spirit and empower people, and they're going to go. Well, and then in Acts chapter 8, they went, but not because necessarily they wanted to. But bad things were happening, and they were scattered. They were running for their lives. God does not mess around. He doesn't mess around. Down to the detail of the order of the places that will hear the good news. The very specific order. And I believe God fulfills every single thing that he said he would do to show us that his word is trustworthy. God's word is trustworthy, which means that he is too. God's word is trustworthy, which means that he is too. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus punctuated this point. 
when he said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never will. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never will. Grab a hold of how significant that is. The God who is known as the word will keep his word. He guards his word. He protects his word. He does not make hasty promises. He doesn't say something and then not show up. The way he says it will happen, it will happen with our agreement or our reluctance. He will get it done because he is the one who is faithful. Here's our second takeaway today. Preaching is every Christian's job, but we don't tend to do it until Jesus is all we have. Hear hear that again. Preaching is every Christian's job, but we don't tend to do it until Jesus is all we have. Let's be honest. Some things are best left to the professionals, right? Preaching's not one of them. Some things are just better. Like I, I think about, I, I'm supposed to be in Haiti this week and I've been thinking about my, my Haitian brothers and sisters and, and a number of us are thinking a lot about Haiti, but it was just simply too dangerous for us to go during this time. There's too much political unrest and a couple of months ago, I, I had to meet with some of my kind of key stakeholders and, and we just realized we, we, we can't do this. We can't go do our medical mission. And, and I think like, I, I've been thinking about things like surgeries and all the things that we do in Haiti, and I, I, I just long to be there. But I don't perform surgeries. Do you know why? Because even though some of my Haitian friends insist on calling me Dr. Pastor Neil, I recognize that I am a pastor and I am not a doctor. And it's joke that I might play one in Haiti, but I don't. I'm not, a, I'm not a surgeon, so I don't do surgeries. I can do really menial tasks that help the surgeons, but I'm not a surgeon. And I'd highly recommend that if you need surgery, that you go to someone who is board certified to do surgery. Don't talk to someone who offers coupons in the local paper for surgeries. It's just not going to turn out well for you. But God has this really interesting way of doing things, doesn't he? He picks those of us who aren't good at a whole lot of things and he says, yep, I want you. You're uniquely qualified to share my word because you were really bad before. And you once had a terrible reputation and you did all the things that I don't want you to do as a follower of mine. But because my spirit indwells you, I'm going to use you to amaze the world. That's what God does. He has this way of flipping around the narrative, doesn't he? He uses those of us who really have no business doing this, and he makes foolish the wisdom of the wise. People that think they're too wise for the gospel, he uses the people that would be picked last on the team, and he says, that's my boy, that's my girl, and he uses us. I want you to notice something uh, that happened immediately after the great persecution that struck the Christians after Stephen had been stoned to death. Verse 4, I'm going to say it again, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now some of us might think, hey, if you were being persecuted for sharing this, wouldn't you think that if you went to the next place you would just play nice? Okay, I get it. I won't say anything else about Jesus. Hey, I know that offended you. I'm not going to talk about Christ. 
I want you to remember who had been scattered. It was everyone except the apostles. The apostles were the original members of the faith. It wasn't them. It was the people who had heard the message from the apostles who were scattered. And then where were they scattered to? Well, because God's word is trustworthy, they were scattered. They went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then beyond that, the rest of the world. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ is not from the, it's not a message for the few to the many. It is a message for all to hear and believe and to share. It's not to to be this top-down, top-heavy, well, we just have to listen to a couple of people and then do whatever they say. No, no, no. It is for you to hear and for you to go. It's for you to hear and receive and believe and go and spread. And not just for you to spread, but for everybody that you share the gospel with. It's for them to spread because we all have different spheres of influence in this world. And we're all uniquely designed by God to be where we are at any moment because he's trustworthy. And he is getting done what he said he's going to get done to spread it from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But it means we actually have to share it. I know Steve shared last week about how it's a show and tell. It's more than about, it's more than about just living the life. And, and, and I get why we, we want to just live it and hope people will talk to us about it. Here, here's why. Because for, for a long time, we, we see the people in our faith that, 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 that talk a great game, but they don't live it out. So we're hesitant to identify with that kind of faith because we don't want to be hypocritical. So we just think, I'll just live it out and hopefully people will talk to me. But that, just because others have been hypocritical doesn't mean that you're supposed to, to stay in this kind of like weak vein of being unwilling to, to say anything. No, we're called to proclaim it because people won't believe it unless they hear it. They won't believe it unless they hear it. Now we have to live it too, but we don't get out of speaking it. This is the importance of sharing the gospel. Paul said this in Romans 10 verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Remember, we're all called to go. We're all called to share this message. It's not just for a few professionals. Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created in Christ for good works that God prepared for us to do long ago. So after you receive the Holy Spirit, he does a work in you and he has uniquely positioned you to go into the world to reach people that no one else God has designed to reach except for you. He's designed you to do it. I think it's powerful to be a part of a big story like this. To me, it's exciting that he wants all of us to play specific roles in your schools, in your workplaces, in your homes. He's called you to represent this gospel. It's it's not a boring faith when we do these things. It's boring when we hear messages and then we are stagnant and we don't do anything with it. That's boring. If your faith is boring, I, I would bet you haven't shared it recently. If your faith is dull, I bet you you haven't gone to your neighbors to talk to them. Don't just talk at them. Get to know them and and love them and be with them. And God will show you, show you how to talk to them. Notice the people around you. 
You'll see brokenness everywhere you go if you just open your eyes. Be Jesus to them and then be willing to share when it's appropriate. That's what he's called us to do. It's a show and tell, like Steve said. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity that Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Agreed. And if true, of infinite importance. Here's what that means for us. Our faith was never meant to be just kept to ourselves. I, I, like when, I hear, when I hear people say, you know, I, this is what I believe, but I don't really talk about it because, you know, it's, my, my faith, it's personal. It's personal to me. Man, have you met Jesus? If your faith is just personal to you, I encourage you to look, look outward and see the people that he's called you to reach. Our faith was never meant to be just a private experience, but it was meant to be a public display of changed lives and hearts that are now reoriented and turned towards the Lord. And when your heart is turned towards the Lord, you will always turn it back to people, every single time. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. You can say that you love God and hate your neighbor, but I can tell you, you're just fooling yourself. If your faith is not motivating you to go out and reach people around you and love people like Jesus did, then, then it's not the gospel that you're propagating. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. We have been given the job of representing Jesus to the world. That's a big job. And what's interesting to me is the, the, the places on earth where the gospel is spreading the most. And again, the gospel, remember, it's, it's Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. What's interesting is that the gospel is always spreading where persecution exists. And I think it's, there's a really simple reason for it. Because Christians, people that identify with the name of Jesus in places where it could cost them their lives, they're real. There'd be plenty of us that would have a hard time saying that we're Christians living in those places. You find out who's real really quickly when there's gunfire. You find out who's real really quickly when your family's relationships disappear when you say that you believe. You find out who's real really quickly when your job says, I'll fire you because you're a Christian. When your livelihood is stripped away. You find out who's real really fast in persecution. There are not nominal half-in, half-out Christians in place where persecution exists. There are not people who go to church for Christmas and Easter where persecution exists. They don't do it. Be honest with yourself. Would you go to a gathering where there are Christians if you knew that there was a good chance you were going to be attacked? I've wondered, I've wondered that for myself. I pray that God would give me his grace enough that I would be. But I could see how easy it would be to just sort of slip away and just be like, ah, maybe God will forgive me later, right? Would I stand for his name if it cost me everything. It's a scary thought, isn't it? But it's a thought that believers all over the world are faced with. And the ones who show up are the ones who believe. The pastor who founded uh, the organization called Voice of the Martyrs, he said, I have found truly jubilant Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. That's kind of scary, isn't it? That's why I love songs like New Wine. 
because I realize it. I used to think I was new to the whole Christian crowd. I, I still like, I, I never went to youth group. I never went to a retreat. Became a Christian in college and now that's been, that's been 20 years. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'm not new to this. I'm full of Christianese. Uh-oh, I didn't mean to be. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to get set, settled into religious ways, but, but sometimes I do the same thing that I, I used to see when I first became a Christian. And I'd be so, like, I don't understand why these guys are so dried up and religious. And then you're part of church for a while and you get it. I get it, but I don't want that. I want, I want new I want that sense of, of when I became a Christian at, at first, that, that, that new sense of belief, like I was constantly opening a Christmas present. I have found truly jubilant Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. And that, to me, sounds a lot like the church of the first century. Great persecution was unleashed, and what happened? The word was spread Everywhere. The believers were scattered and they preached everywhere that they went. Guys, can you imagine if we were a church like that? Can you imagine if all of us took this, owned this as our personal responsibility that we didn't just put it on a few people, but we said, we want to be like that. But in order to be like that, we're going to have to be so dependent on Jesus and recognize that he is truly our only safe place. We won't do this until we realize that, that he is the only one. Can you imagine what it would be like if you had no possessions and you wandered from city to city looking for refuge but you found none? You were tired everywhere you went and you looked for refuge and you didn't. Really quickly, you would realize that God is all that you have. Really quickly, you'd realize that. And once you grab a hold of that, suddenly your priorities would reflect it and you would preach it because what you truly believe is what you're going to say and how you're going to live. And if all of us faced having everything taken away from us and we truly recognize that Jesus is all we have, we would talk about him as if he really is our all in all because he really is all in all. I think our affluence stands in direct opposition to the life that sees without blinders. And I want to invite the band back up as we prepare to close. And here's our final point today. Just like in the first church, we still try to believe in Jesus without being obedient to Jesus. Just like in the first church, we try to believe in Jesus without being obedient to Jesus. I want to go back to Simon the sorcerer for a second. He really had an impressive following. As a matter of fact, before he became a believer, he actually received worship. So he was kind of a, a, a celebrity. If we're honest, we all like adoration. We all like it when people recognize that, that there's an area that, that we're really good in or we're, we have a talent in. It, we feel, it feels good to be appreciated and sometimes we like to be elevated even more than that if we're being really real. But there's really no room for that in the lives of those who are surrendered to the risen Jesus. There's no room for it. 
But just like today, it was hard in the first century for people to let go of those things. People are all the same, century to century, if you notice. We're, we all have the same strengths and weaknesses. We all have pride and we're all humble. Like, that's just the, that's the human experience. But it was hard for Simon the sorcerer to give up his old ways. Even after he believed in Jesus, he tried to hold on to his old ways. And he wanted what the apostles had. He saw that the Holy Spirit did something that was more amazing than what he was doing. And he amazed everyone. So there was something in him that wanted more. He wanted more adoration that he knew would come if he could do things that demonstrated the power of God. But the problem is he didn't want to get the Holy Spirit through relationship with God. He wanted to get the benefits of the Holy Spirit by doing something to get it, by paying the apostles to receive. And you know what that is? That's just religion. You want the power of God. You want people to say, wow, that is a great religious man. That's a great religious woman. They must be really close to God. Look at all the great things they do. They go serve the poor. Man, that's amazing. Man, they give away their money. That's amazing. Look at all they do. But all of that, all of that, when it comes down to it, is just religion, which is man, it's, it's, it's people's attempts to get to God or to get his favor. That's what religion is, and it's dead. It is the result of stripping out the relationship and removing the power of God. And it turns this, this what should be a vibrant connection between us and God into this stale and godless transaction where we say we believe in God, but there is no relationship with him. And it can happen to any of us, any of us, before Christ and after. It can happen to us when we fail to engage our hearts to God and the people that he has sent us to. When we fail to love people, when we fail to connect with the Lord, it is a godless religious transaction. And it's dead. Peter looked at Simon and he gave him a brutal rebuke. He said, may your money die with you, Simon. You're bitter and you're captive to sin. Repent and maybe God will forgive you. That sounds so mean. It does, right? It sounds so mean. But I think Peter was telling him the truth. Peter was enabled by the Spirit to see something that everyone else couldn't see or refused to see or maybe it confronted something in their own hearts too. Simon was just trying to do what all of us try to do at times, which is to do something to get closer to God as if we can do that at all. God made a way for us. But we say things like, God, I promise if you just heal my marriage, I'll go to church every week. God, if you just take away the cancer, I'll give 10% every week to the church. God, if you just bring me a spouse, then I'll honor you with my life. God, if you just give me a raise, if you just give me the vacation, if you just do this, we treat him like this cosmic genie as if he just exists to do whatever we ask him to do and we think we've fooled him that we have the ability to even follow through on the things that we promise when we don't. 
It's like a New Year's resolution. They just don't work. And I think God's answer to, to all of us when we do these things is the, the same. It, it, it's not as harsh as what Peter said. I think God says something more like this. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. You can't offer me anything. I own everything. As a matter of fact, I'm the one who took the dust that is your body and breathed my spirit into it and gave you life. You can't bring anything to me, but here's what I want from you. I want your heart. I want your love. And if you give me those things, I will come and I will change you and I will restore you to factory original. I'll restore everything in you. I will heal you. I will change you. You will have hard times, but I will be with you. I will give you a mission and a purpose and I will go before you and I will help you do things that you could never do on your own because I have animated you with my spirit. God wants us all to come to him and receive the gift of salvation. It is a gift because it is unearned. It is a gift because it cannot be purchased. It is a gift because we cannot manipulate God into giving it to us. All he has and all he is, he wants to give to you. And all he wants from you is for you to say, I'm bringing all of me, all of my sin, all of my mistakes, all of my regrets, all of my shame, but also all of my heart. And he promises that when we do that, he'll replace that, that stone cold heart and he'll give us a new heart, one that's alive in him. But in order to receive it, we have to acknowledge what's true about us. And this is a part that will stop a lot of people, but this, it's just true. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've got a sin problem. We have missed the mark. That's what sin means. It means we missed the mark. Don't compare yourself to the person sitting next to you. Don't fool yourself into thinking that, that you've really got it together pretty well and God's pleased with your actions. No, he's pleased with his son's actions. And when you put his son on you, he is pleased with you because he sees his son. But he loves you dearly and that's why he sent his son. Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let me say that again. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. We need to be reminded. It is not because of how good you are. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Here's some really good news. All of us have made Simon's mistake. All of us since becoming Christians have made Simon's mistake. And Simon had the chance to repent, and we do too. Isn't that beautiful? I want everybody to stand together. We're going to pray for a few things today as we close. The first one is this, that if, if you are here and you know that you are far from God and you've really tried everything, but you know that you haven't tried the relationship with God, I want you to take that risk today. I want you to bring him all of your sin. You don't have to have the perfect prayer. All you have to have is a willing heart. Acknowledge who you are, that you have sinned. God, I have sinned 
say it in the way that makes sense to you. If you know there are sins that you just know them, name them, where there's restitution to be done with people, you can make that if it's appropriate. But it's just saying, God, I know that I've sinned and I fall short of, of your glory and your kingdom, but, but I'm going to receive everything that you have for me and be made new. Maybe you're like Simon today and you've received Jesus, but you've had a hard time following through on, 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 you're trying to do things to win God's favor as if you can do that. Let me just say this. If you receive Jesus, you have his favor. If you've received Jesus, you have already received his favor. Walk in that as a son or daughter of God. But lay down those things that you've tried. Say, God, forgive me. Help me have a fresh start. I'm not going to try to do things to get right with you, but I will do things because I've been made right with you. And finally, that the Edge Church would become a community full of preachers. God wants every single one of you to know that you have what it takes Each one of you, he has gifted to share his word, to share his truth in a way that will reach people that I can't reach, that Steve can't reach, that none of our elders can reach, none of our leaders can reach, nobody can reach but you. He's put you in your neighborhood to reach them. May we all become a community full of preachers. Let's also recognize that It's likely that we will never experience persecution that we read about on the news, that we even see in the Bible. But that does not take away from the call God has on us to share his message. You might see in your notes page, there are certain things that are out of our control. Persecution, that's out of our control and it may never come. But there are certain things that we can do to help make make sure our hearts are right and ready to go and do these things. Let's just surrender today. Can you just, as a, as a mark of surrender, just, just hold your hands as a representation of the posture of your heart. Just hold your hands up and just surrender everything to the Lord today. Let's just ask him for, for a fresh wind and fresh fire for our hearts. Father, it is remarkable to me that you want to use us. It is not what I would do but it is what you have chosen to do. Lord, we surrender today. God, I, I pray for anybody who has not received your son and his forgiveness and, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that, that you would just do a great work in people's hearts. Lord, turn your children back to you and accomplish in them the impossible. God, for those of us who have grabbed a hold of a religious spirit, one that attempts to manipulate you to to get something from you because of what we've done, Lord, help us to lay down our transactions and receive again. God, we thank you that we can't do anything to get to you, but we receive all of your goodness. Father, for those in this place, Lord, that are scared to proclaim your word, I pray for a holy and and bold fire to fall on those people. There are people here who are sensing callings. There are people here who feel like they can't speak. God, uh, give them the the boldness and the spirit that you, you gave to Moses 
It doesn't matter if they have all their words right, God, but your spirit is all that they need to hear and become preachers of your word. Lord, give callings and boldness today. Make us a community that preaches your word and lives your word. I pray for an increase of power and an increase of the move of your spirit, God, that we would see more healings, that we'd see restoration, that we'd see your kingdom come to this place and spread like wildfire like it did in the book of Acts. God, I pray for more things to happen like they did in the book of Acts. May you do that today. God, get us ready for it. Get us ready for it. As we get ready to go into a new decade, God, it's 2020. It's perfect vision. Get us ready for that. Prepare us, God. And may everything that we do be seasoned with love or it is worthless. And it is in Jesus' name that we all pray and believe.